chapter 9 this evening, okay? And uh, we'll spend some time at the end of the service praying for these needs, pray for our church, pray for our staff um, positions as in, the, in the search for that. Remember that, if you would, please. Uh, Pastor Gill and Elena are both sick. They're out tonight, and uh, pray for them as sickness just keeps traveling everywhere you go. So remember, remember them in prayer, please. We're going to be in Matthew 9 this evening, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 35. About the subject of ministry that is life-changing, all right? And uh, here uh, Jesus is speaking, and in verse 35 it says that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, bless your word tonight. Bless our children as they gather together. Lord, I know in my house, my little girl, uh, Father, she is so excited every Wednesday. Uh, Last night she was hoping it was Wednesday uh, because she loves to come and uh, learn uh, learn the Bible, learn the Word of God uh, with, her, uh, uh, with her friends and to be taught. And I pray, Father, that you allow all of our children, give them hearts and minds that just soak up your Word, that it would change them and transform them. And if there's a child that is not saved, Lord, may the time in the Word cause them to question their need for salvation, their need for Jesus Christ. And may they uh, be, make the decision to be eternally saved. I pray for our teenagers tonight. I pray for BJ and Morgan and my wife and Miss Jackie, Lord, as they minister to the teens. God, give them a great spirit this evening. Help BJ as he speaks to them, minister through them, use them in a great way. And then as we come together tonight, Lord, our heart is greatly burdened for many needs that people have. And we understand, God, that the great, The great tool that we have as Christians is that we can come before you and we can ask for anything. Lord, whatever it is, you you tell us to bring all of our petitions before you with thanksgiving. And uh, God, we we bring them to you, a heavenly Father who's able to do far more than we could ask or think. You can answer in ways that we don't even know how to pray for it. Uh, But Lord, you are able to... Uh, move in the situation and handle and work and heal and save and do all of those things, God, that, are, that is within your power and ability. And so, fathers, we come together as a church tonight and pray and lean upon your ear and, uh, Father, move our hearts toward you and seek your face. I pray, God, that you would move in us spiritually. Encourage us with that. We get to talk to the King of kings and Lord of lords and pour out our burdens unto him. And so I pray tonight that you would hear us as we pray together as a church. 
and the little time that we have in the Word tonight, minister to us spiritually, speak to our hearts, and God, encourage us, refresh us, uh, move us as we seek to serve you throughout the rest of this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus tonight. Amen. On June the 6th, Carl Vader's uh, wrote an article, it's actually June the 6th of 21, he wrote an article that was put out by the church leader entitled, The World Isn't Looking for a Bigger Church, They Want a Better Church. And in that article, he said, the most powerful evangelistic tool in the world is not a program or a special service or a booklet or a flashy presentation. The most powerful evangelistic tool in the world is a group of people who live what they say they believe. Worshiping Jesus, loving each other, and caring for their community. That, that is what people are looking for. I know a lot of people have said it. Teddy Roosevelt had said it many times, and he's often quoted, Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Amen? And no one, no one cares for us, for our neighbors, for our family, for our, for our community, for our country, for the world in which we live in. No one cares for us more than Jesus, right? Jesus cares for us. And because he cares so much for us, it's important for us to care about what he wants to teach us. And so tonight, I just want to highlight a couple of things in these four verses. First of all, I want us to recognize a summary of Christ's ministry. There are certain scriptures that can, that can well sum up Christ's purpose for ministry. John 3.16 comes to mind for all of us, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth shall not perish but have everlasting life. Luke 19.10 comes to mind. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Christ came for the purpose of reconciling us back to God by offering himself as an atonement for our sin. But I'd argue that perhaps there's no other verse that better describes how we went about his earthly ministry than in Matthew 4, 23, or the very same verse in Matthew 9, verse 35. They both say basically the same thing. Look back in verse 35 with me. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Jesus sought first how to reach people. He was always looking for a way. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's looking how to reach people. He goes in the cities. He goes in the villages. To me, that's, that's obviously the cities. I live in the village of Somerville. Actually, I live in the village of Eva. We have this church in the village of 
Somerville. Those are the towns. Those are the outlying communities. It didn't matter where it was the high population of Jerusalem or the cities that were the towns and villages that were right around uh, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus went about teaching and preaching. He went about reaching people because without people, there's no ministry. Amen? Whether, whether they lived in the city neighborhoods or lived in the countryside, Christ went to where the people were. And that is what he's taught, that's what he taught his disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, he's about to send them out. He's about to tell them to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel in Matthew 10 and verse 6. And he's been teaching them this all along in his ministry. Every church, every ministry must be passionate about reaching people. Years ago in a, a church, I started a, a ministry called the Martha Ministry. And uh, I call it Martha's Mission. And I named it after a particular church member who was, you, you could say she was famous or you could say she was notorious, depending on how you looked at it. She, if, if you... If, if you were on her heart, she would not let you go until either you got mad at her and told her to get away or she won you to Jesus Christ. Or if you were a Christian and you were out of church, she would bug you until you came to church. That's the kind of woman that she was. Every Sunday morning, I heard testimony after testimony. I came... Uh, to this ministry after she had already passed away. And I kept hearing different people in the church talk about Martha. And Martha would call them on Saturday night. She would call them on Sunday morning. She would mail them a card. She would, she would go by and visit them. And she would stay on them. She would do this every week, one way or another. She would contact them and let them know that she's praying for them, She's got a seat saved for them. She stayed on them and stayed on them and stayed on them until eventually they were all in church. Once, once they got there, the church had the responsibility to minister to them. But Martha saw it as her ministry to get them there. All right? And that is, that is, that is what Jesus is called the local church to do. He, he, he sought first to reach people. And when he reached them, then it says that he taught in their synagogues and he preached to them the gospel of the kingdom. He spoke to them the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the living word. And when he spoke, he spoke life. And he spoke in such a way that people recognize it was just different. In John 7, in verse 46, the authors of the chief priests who were sent to take him, they came back and they testified, never man spake like this man. 
One Sabbath, as Jesus taught in the synagogue in Mark 1 and verse 22, he described those present as being astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. If you want to make a difference, Tyler, if you want to make an impact, Thomas, in people's life, learn the words of Jesus. Learn the word of God. Speak the word of God. Okay, when you pray, I mean, the Bible should come to your mind. Okay, when you're, when you're, when you're witnessing, the Holy Spirit should bring truth to our, to our remembrance. So get in the Word of God, learn the Word of God, be taught, listen to preaching, listen to teaching, read the Word of God, read the Bible so that it impacts you and that when you speak... People will say, Larry Culp, no, I, I never heard anybody preach like Larry Culp. There's something about him. There's something about Brian Collins. The, the way that he speaks, it gets my attention. It draws me in. Never man spake like this man. Learn the words of Jesus. Speak truth. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the words of Christ that provided such power that pierced the hearts of those who heard him. As Jesus taught the, told the disciples in John 6, verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I've, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and I start talking to them about the Bible and I start talking to them about Jesus and uh, th- there'll be something that they, they don't like about me because I'm a Baptist, you know. And, and they start telling me what they believe. And they will say, well, preacher so-and-so says this. And preacher so-and-so says this. And I said, well, let me tell you what Jesus says. Let me tell you what the Bible says, okay? And, and if, you, if you give them what Jesus says or what the Bible says, you can't argue with the Word of God. Amen? You just can't argue with it. And so many times they just get caught up and they say, well, you got a point there. Yeah, I don't have a point there. God made the point, right? God's the one that wrote the book. And so just speak the word of Jesus. The Bible is our final authority in all matters of faith and practice, right? And it offers life when it's taught under the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the local church must be a reaching church. It must be a teaching church. And it must also be a ministering church. Because Jesus ministered everywhere he went as he healed every sickness and every disease among the people. The people that came to Jesus were messed up people. They had spiritual needs, yes. But they also had physical and emotional needs. Some were blind physically. But when they came to Jesus, he gave them sight. But although some could see clearly, they were so blind religiously, they could never see. The deaf came to him and began hearing. And sadly, many who could hear came, but because they refused to listen with their hearts, they never understood. There were those who came to him who had never walked, yet went back home jumping for joy and praising God. Yet there are also those who come to him in their own strength, yet leave helpless because of their own unbelief. There were those who were physically dead who he restored to life, 
but there were those who had life yet remained spiritually dead. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 6, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And you don't know where we, why we were without strength. We were without strength because we were a messed up people. Amen? And the world is filled with messed up people. And we have the responsibility to minister to their needs. And secondly, we see a view of Christ's heart. Jesus set the example that we are to follow. He is our leader, and instead of every great, inside of every great leader is a heart given to a cause. It is what motivates them to succeed. And beginning in verse 36 of our text in Matthew 9, the Bible reveals that motivation because it described what Jesus saw and what he felt. Then in verses 37 and 38, he revealed a need to his disciples that required volunteers rather than, than some kind of divine draft. He does, he's not drafting you into his army. He's calling you into his army. Amen? And he's looking for volunteers. Uh, I want to credit Pastor Stephen Cole with the, the following points that I, I want to make. And the one, the first one is this. We need to see... As Jesus saw in verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. (laughs) Jesus saw the great need of lost people. He saw those who were faint. They were despondent. They were dejected. They were hopeless. In John Bunyan's classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, his main character was a husband and a father named Christian. And Christian carried a heavy burden because of his many sins and the sense of guilt that he had for them. And his journey to rid himself of this burden led him through the slough of despond. And Bunyan wrote, The miry slough is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the descent whither the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth continually run. And therefore it is called the slew of despond. For still as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there ariseth in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions, which all of them get together and settle in this place. And this is the reason of the badness of the ground. If not for a man named Help who gives Christian a hand, he would have certainly remained lost with a heavy burden of sin and guilt that was upon his back. And people today may not have signs on their back, but when Jesus looked at the multitude, he saw the heavy burdens they carried. And people around us are always carrying heavy burdens. Always carrying something. Then he saw people who were scattered abroad, meaning they were downcast or or they were thrown down. Author Philip Keller described in his well-known book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, he described how sheep can get turned over on their backs and not be able to get up by themselves again. And such sheep are called cast or cast down sheep. These sheep flail at the air with their legs, but they can't get back on their feet without the aid of the shepherd. 
I've come across people like that, Thomas. You know? I mean, they, they're down on their back. They, they can't figure out what to do. They can't get up. They're just, they're just sitting there and their arms and their legs are just, are just waving in the air. They're trying their best, but they just can't do it. Left in this condition, sheep were, are vulnerable and helpless to their enemies. And they'll die after a few days or even a few hours. And Jesus recognized they needed someone who cares enough to turn their lives around. He saw those were faint. He saw that they were scattered abroad. But he also saw people without a shepherd. The religious leaders of the day were fleecing the flock rather than shepherding them. And rather than lovingly pointing them to God, they looked down on them with self-righteous and self-seeking ideals. And Jesus recognized that they needed someone to show them the way. And so he saw, he saw the great harvest of lost people in verse 37. Read with me. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous. There is, there is a time to sow, but there is also a time to reap. Following his conversation with a Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4, she ran back into town and she proclaimed to all, come, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. And while she was doing that, Jesus was teaching a lesson to the disciples. And as the disciples were coming to him, Jesus said in John 4 and verse 35, he says, say not ye there yet four months and then... Then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. I, I've, I've heard too many times, Larry, I've heard too many times in uh, the 29 years that uh, I, have, I have been in church and trying to grow in the Lord. I've heard too many times that nobody wants the truth anymore. I've heard that and I've heard that and I've heard that nobody wants the truth anymore and every community I've ministered in everyone in the community claims to be saved already but you know what I've always learned in every community there's lost people in every community there's people that don't know Jesus Christ there are people that have gone to church there have been people that at some time have heard the Bible there are people who can quote scripture but I found time after time after time again you keep picking up a rock, you'll find somebody that needs Jesus Christ. Amen? Keep kicking a hedge. Keep kicking a hedge. You'll always find somebody to come to the Lord. Jesus, Jesus saw the great need for workers in the harvest. But the, in verse 37, he also recognized that the laborers are few. And here he, he changes metaphors. First, he's speaking about the sheep in need of a shepherd. All right, and the sheep and the shepherd show man's need met by God. And the good shepherd seeks out lost sheep and ministers to them. But now he presents a need for laborers for the harvest. And the harvest and laborers represent a need met by man. The great preacher G. Campbell Morgan said, God uses saved people to save other people. And that's the truth. He's looking for people whom he can use to reach other people that are just like us. Up to this point, the disciples have been watching Jesus minister. 
And now Jesus is seeking to get them involved. He's ready, he's getting ready to start sending them out two by two. You don't have to be a preacher to go and minister. You just need to be a willing laborer, amen? And we will be willing to go when we feel what Jesus felt. In verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. The term compassion means to be moved from deep within. Means to have a deep yearning. It means that when you that what you see that what you see affects you physically and emotionally. I like the Amish proverb that says, "Instead of putting others in their place, put yourself in their place." A lot of truth to that. So I ask myself, what do I feel when I see the multitude of people without hope and without? without God. When people are standing up against Christianity, uh, on, on Saturday night, on Saturday night, my wife was having a conversation with an individual. She was sitting down at the table, and I think she had just finished talking to someone who had got up and walked away, and there was this, there was this guest who asked, could I sit down with you? And, of course, she said yes, and this guy sat down, and uh, they got to talking a little bit, and uh, she introduced herself, and um, she just got to asking some things about him, and uh, she noticed different things that he had wrote on his hands, he had something wrote on his forehead, uh, had these different rings on. And uh, she said, well, uh, I, I don't remember what he asked her, what started that conversation. But she asked, uh, are, you, are you dressed up? What are you dressed up as? This is, an, this is an older guy. And he says, oh, you don't want to know that. And she says, sure I do. And he says, well, I'm dressed up as a Wiccan wizard. And she says, well, that's interesting. And she just got to talking to him. And she got to talking to him about the Lord. And, and uh, he says, you know, he says, I've been to many churches. And he says, churches don't like people like me. He's also a, he was also a homosexual. And he says, churches don't like people like me. He says, I worship many gods. And she says, well, I only worship one God. He says, oh, I know your God. Your God is Jehovah. He says, I worship a lot of gods. He started naming these different gods. And she says, well, who created your God? She asked about Jehovah God. He says, well, he's the creator God. He created all the other gods. said but he said I, I pray to this God and this God gives me peace and she looked at him and she says but you don't look like you have any peace and he said well I'm afraid of your God 
He says, I'm scared to death of hell. I'm terrified of hell. And she's standing there, and there's this guy standing right behind him, standing over top of them. She sent my daughter to come get me, and I came. And she says, I want you to meet my husband. He's the pastor. He says, I don't want to meet him. I don't ask him. I know. I don't want to meet the pastor. She says, yeah, you got to meet him. She says, I promise he'll be good to you. You got to meet him. And so I come over there, and she introduces me, and we start talking. And I'm listening, and I realize my wife has got this. I'm going to stand here and just keep my mouth shut. And I decided I was going to talk to the guy standing behind him because I was afraid that was a guy who was with him. And I didn't want there to be a distraction. turns out it wasn't. And we had a good conversation, he and I. She wasn't going to deal with his Wiccan beliefs. She wasn't dealing with his his, uh, sexuality. She was just giving him Jesus Christ. And she believed that if Jesus could save him, Jesus could take care of all that other stuff. And she talked to him and shared the gospel with him. And he says, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. He says, I'm terrified of hell. I am scared of your God. She says, but you don't have to be scared of my God. My God loves you. And he gave Jesus to die for your sins and my sins. And he wants to save you from hell. He doesn't want to send you to hell. It would have been awesome if he he didn't get saved. I wish I could tell you he got saved. He says, I'm really going to think about what what you've told me. He said, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. He says, everybody is always so mean to me. Jesus, at the judgment, will send people to the lake of fire because they rejected his atonement for their sin. But he did not come to this world to condemn the world. He came to this world to save the world. Right? And that is how he sees people. And he's telling the disciples, pray, when you pray, pray for laborers. That they'll be sent forth into the harvest. That they can minister to the needs of people. Charles Spurgeon said that verse 38 weighed on his heart more than any other text in the Bible. 
He said it haunted him perpetually. Pray for laborers. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. It's hard for us to pray for God to send more laborers in the harvest if we aren't willing to get up and put our, out of the pew ourselves. Amen? I'll close with this. Years ago, a well-known pastor stood before his congregation and pointed his fingers. He warned. He says, it is a dangerous thing, Stephen, to pray. It's a dangerous thing to pray. He proceeded to tell them about a time he was walking down the street when he met a missionary that was home on furlough and the missionary was burdened about a particular need and, and asked the pastor if he would join him and a few others to pray about the matter. And the pastor, who possessed rather an abrupt personality, he, he, said, he said before they prayed, well, well, let's not pray out of ignorance, let's pray out of intelligence. What is, what is it that you're in need of? And the missionary explained to him that he had an urgent financial need of just $50, but he needed that, and, and he needed God to help him to get it. And they gathered in a circle, and one at a time began to pray and ask the Lord for his provision. As the last man concluded his prayer, one missionary stated, I, I don't feel like we have really laid hold on the Lord. Let's continue to pray. And so once again, one by one, each person present began to pray when suddenly that still small voice interrupted the thoughts of that well-known pastor. <coughs> suddenly he was reminded that he just so happened to have $50 in his right pocket. He said it was as if that still small voice asked him, what about the money you have in your own pocket? Are you willing to give it? And while one of the Dear individuals was in the middle of praying. The pastor just bluntly sounded out, hold it, everyone, quit praying. God's answered the prayer. And everyone looked up, and he pulled out that $50, and he laid it on the table, and he said, it's a dangerous thing to pray. It's a dangerous thing to pray. God is always looking for ministers, and I'm not talking about preachers or pastors. He's looking for people who will minister to others and affect change in their lives. Amen? Let's let God use us. God always, everywhere we go, everywhere we go, there's people who have burdens and needs that they're carrying. Let us seek to minister those needs. Let us speak truth. Let us speak the words of Jesus. And let us make an impact each and every day. Father, I pray tonight that you hear us as we pray.